Forge 103.9 and New Sound. This is Real Talk. We are back. I am Bob Fuentes. And I'm Matt Munoz. And Matt, all month long, we've been celebrating Women's History Month. There's a lot of history that's not spoken about, mm-hmm. and we decided to bring amazing women on the air and talk about their stories and oh, yeah. what they've had to overcome. But we have a special guest in the building today, right? Yes, we do. And before we introduce her, I have one more special introduction as we wrap up our celebration of Women's History Month. Our loyal and valued Real Talk listeners, as our celebration of Women's History Month comes to a close, it has been our mission to highlight the contributions, struggles, and triumphs by the hardworking women in our communities. They are mothers, spouses, daughters, friends, and respected colleagues who selflessly support and help us reach our daily goals at home, work, and office. Known to many on a first-name basis, Often they are the hidden figures who humbly go uncredited in the public eye for their accomplishments simply because they are women. It's an all too familiar story and one that we as men and women should strive to correct for the sake of women everywhere. Here at Real Talk, we sincerely hope that our weekly contribution to this cause has made a positive impact on our listeners so that they may take time to give a shout out, an award, a promotion, a pay raise, even a day of rest to a hardworking woman in their daily circle. On that note, Today, we are honored to be joined in studio by Connie Perez-Andreessen, Chief Administration Officer and National Vice President of the United Farm Workers Union. Central Valley born and raised, Connie experienced the hardships so many immigrant families faced in the crowded agricultural labor camps. And as the daughter of Campesino parents, Connie was taught to respect the work and sacrifices her family made in order to give her a better life. From the fields to the classroom, Connie's personal journey tells the story of a young woman with a dream to make a difference, not only in her own life, but in the lives of others. Attending both Bakersfield College and California State University, Bakersfield, where she graduated magna cum laude with a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration and a concentration in accounting, Connie became a certified public accountant in 2002. And that's where the real story begins. After building her career within the ranks of a prestigious regional accounting firm based in Kern County, Connie then became the controller for the United Farm Workers of America, which actively champions legislative and regulatory reforms for farm workers. In 2018, she was appointed by the UFW Executive Board as Chief Administrative Officer and finally National Vice President in November 2020. Apart from those distinguished leadership roles, Connie Perez-Andreessen has collected numerous honors for her work, including being inducted into the CSUB Hall of Fame in 2022, awarded Businesswoman of the Year by the Kern County Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, a Latina of Influence by the National Latina Business Women Association Los Angeles, and many, 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 many more. And I do mean many. I could go on. However, I must bring this introduction to a close so that we may at last segue into the real reason we are here, and that is to welcome Connie perez Andreessen to Real Talk. You Welcome, know, Connie. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Matt needs to write like everything for me, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> did I do okay? You did great. All right, all right. She's like, no, you missed a couple accolades. <laughs> you, 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 you missed a couple. I said many, 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 many more. It brought back a lot of memories. Yeah. So, yeah. Connie, uh, thank you for taking your time and coming down here. Um, we really appreciate it. As Matt said. Uh, you, you grew up in uh, a farm worker labor camp, correct? Correct, in Tulare County. In Tulare mm. County. Tell us a little bit about that, like your experiences growing up there um, and just like the smiling faces. Because I think that's a little thing that we don't talk about a lot. Right? Yeah. We talk about like the hardships, but um, I bet you there's a lot of families lots there. Lots of love. Lots you of know, love. Love, love keeps, of, keeps the family together, right? And, and a community there. Definitely. I lived at the Woodville Labor Camp, um, which is by Porterville. Mm-hmm. 
It's west of Porterville until I was 17 years old. I was a junior in high school when we moved to Porterville because my parents were able to save enough money for a down payment to buy their first home. And so I was there my entire childhood at the labor camp. And it was a very sheltered upbringing Mm -hmm. um, because we didn't leave often. If we left, it was to go to the post office in Poplar um, or to go to church in Porterville. And we would go to church almost every day of the week. Oh, wow. Now, those are city names that you have to live, town names. I say say town because it's very small. You have to... No, be familiar with the Central Valley to know those towns. I'm from McFarland, so Poplar. Pop, uh, we used to run track and play baseball against all those <laughs> little and, tiny towns. And Woodville. Oh, elementary. yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. Okay. What, is, what are the things that kind of stand out the most from those experiences of growing up in, around labor camps? And people who are, you all have that in common. You all come from hardworking families. Sun up to sun down. Mm-hmm. It was um, a very close-knit community. Mm-hmm. I felt safe. If I went out and back then, we didn't have, you know, electronic devices Mm -hmm. um, when I was growing up. So we were outside most of the day playing with our friends and everyone knew each other. Um, If I did anything wrong, by the time I got home, my mom had already already heard. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. She already already (laughs) knew. and She had the cinto already, right? (laughs) You can't do that anymore. But um, that's the Mexican switch. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cut the tree branch off, right? Cut the tree branch off. Or the chancla. Yeah, the chancla. Yeah. (laughs) So it was, you know, I felt safe. I felt um, I'm still friends with some of the the people that I grew up with at the labor camp. Mm -hmm. Um, Two of my closest friends lived here in Bakersfield, Laura and Letty. Mm -hmm. And we grew Mm -hmm. up there. Um, You know, there were some... Difficult times growing up there um, with some of our classmates passing away, parents going to prison for drug dealing. <laughs> I, I mean, that was yeah, very common yeah. in, in that community. And so my parents' way of keeping us out of trouble was to keep us in church. So they're very, very religious. And mm-hmm. we would go to church twice on Sunday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Friday nights. And Saturdays, too. So that was my life growing up. I would go to church in Porterville. um, And like I said, it was very sheltered. And when I went to Woodville Elementary, I was there from first to eighth grade. It was all the kids from the labor camp or from Woodville or, you Mm -hmm. know, Poplar had a different school. Mm -hmm. Um, It was not until I went to high school. I went to Menachee High School in Porterville. Oh, yeah. That I realized just how poor we were. Oh, and saw, you know, just how different the kids from Porterville were than from, you know, the kids of, of farm worker kids from the labor camp because of what they were wearing mm-hmm. or where they lived mm-hmm. or where they vacationed. You know, our vacations every summer, we would go to Mexico to visit mm-hmm. my grandparents. And it was in the middle of nowhere, dirt road. I actually just got back from there last week. My uncle passed away, so I went to his funeral. Mm, sorry. And I had not been there in over a decade and so it brought back a lot of memories of my childhood because I, I spent every summer there. Mm-hmm. It's by Mexicali. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um, east of Mexicali. So that was my summer. So it was very, very sheltered. Um, but I always, my parents did the best they could, you know, given the little, they, the very little they had. And they worked in the fields. Um, my dad only had a sixth grade education. Mm-hmm. So he could barely read or write. Mm. But he tried, you know, he tried to give us what he didn't have. And that's why he came to this country to give us a better life. Was your primary language Spanish? Yes. For for how long? 
Until I started school. Mm -hmm. So okay. I, yeah, I went, I was part of the Head Start program too mm -hmm. in um, the preschool there. Oh, yeah. we, we used to have a preschool at the labor camp that has since shut down because of budget cuts. But I started there. My mom worked there at the preschool and it was right across the street from where we lived. So it was, you know, I would just walk to school with yeah. my mom. And I, it wasn't until I started at Woodville that I think I started learning English. I, I really don't remember. So, so you you go into high school in Porterville, right? Mm -hmm. And this was like the first realization that you're like you're different, right? Yeah. Um, was was that kind of like a badge of honor, or was that kind of like I need to like kind of fit in, I need to do something? Because I know a lot of um second, third, fourth generation, as we get farther down that line, uh, we're kind of like forced to assimilate, and then we're also talked back, like, hey, you're not Mexican enough. So was that kind of like the the deal going into high school? It was, and I think the hardest part was my parents understanding mm. what it was to be a teenager in the US, mm -hmm. right? Because they came from Mexico and I'm the oldest of, of three. So when I would say, I want to go out with my friends, they would say, no, you know, I want to, yeah. You got sisters, you got brothers, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, I could never go to a sleepover. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just couldn't do anything because they just worried about yeah. what could happen. So I think that was the biggest struggle. So there was, you know, about a difficult, maybe a year in my teenage life where I, you know, just yeah, try yeah. to be a normal teenager in the U.S. It reminds me of, okay, so growing up in McFarland and, you know, my parents worked out in the fields. My dad worked for the winery over there in Delano. My mom was a migrant teacher's aide and did all that stuff. However, we grew up, I grew up so American. I mean, you can't hear an accent in my voice in this Californian, <laughs> you know, grew up in the 80s and all that stuff. But when you knew the kids that were kind of like the way you grew up, Spanish was their, their primary language, but they were the best students. They live in McFarland, yet they would pack up and go to Nebraska, and they followed the agriculture wherever they went mm -hmm. and everything like that. So all those memories have gone way back to a lot of those kids that we knew. And we were all Mexicano, some of us Mexican-American, but we just felt like that disconnect, yet we were the same people and came from the same backgrounds. But yeah, it must have been so hard. But then you come into Kern County. Yes. Let's do a little fast forward in when your arrival into Kern County. So after high school, um, growing up, my parents always told me, you're going, to, you're going to go to college, right? You're going to do something with your life. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know how to make that happen for me. I did not take the SATs in high school. I never took advantage of the counselors. I had no clue what I was doing. Mm -hmm. We didn't have programs back then like we do here in Kern County, Latina Leaders of Kern County. I'm on that board, and we help these young high school girls right through the application process. I graduated, and I thought, oh, I need to go to college. What, what do I do? So I went to Porterville College mm -hmm. for two years. Um, I actually I dropped out for a year because I was working two jobs in Porterville. And for me, I was making a lot of money, you know, and I thought and I was dating someone who was a athlete here at CSUB. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm just going to get married and live happily ever after. Right. That yeah. was my goal when I was 18. And so I took a year off and um, I realized during that year that that wasn't the life I wanted. So I went back to school mm -hmm. and transferred to Cal State Bakersfield. I took some classes at Bakersfield College, mm -hmm. too. And when I was a senior in high school, I took an accounting class as an elective and I just loved it. I love the class. Um, the teacher just made it fun. That, you know, hard to believe, right? Accounting is fine. Yeah, I was like, numbers and accounting. Like, I don't even do, do my own finances. You know, you know what? A lot of Latinos, a lot of Mexicanos love accounting. 
Like I know a lot of people that are, a lot of family members that got into accounting. I mean, it's solid work. Everyone needs an accountant. <laughs> exactly. Whether you're making or losing money, right? Mm -hmm. It's a stable job. So I thought, okay, I'm going to be an accountant. So I transferred to CSCB. I majored in business administration. Um, the year before I was scheduled to graduate, my only brother was shot and killed. Oh. And so that just completely, you know, shattered my family. Um, he was only 19. Mm. It's actually his birthday today. Oh. He would have been 43 years old today. Yeah. Happy um, heavenly birthday. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And so I've experienced a lot of amazing things in my life. And I don't think I would have had the courage to pursue some opportunities had he not passed away. Because when he passed away, he was 19. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, his life was cut short. Mm -hmm. So I need to do something with my life um, to honor in honor of him. And he left behind a little boy. He was a year and a half. So I stepped in to try to help him, mm -hmm. you know, raise him. And um, that's how I ended up in at Bakersfield. But I, and I graduated a, a year after he passed away um, with honors. Oh, and wow. Yeah, and I got a job at the biggest firm in town at the time, mm -hmm. which when I applied to all the firms, I did not apply to this specific firm because I never thought they would hire mm -hmm. someone like me. Like imposter syndrome, like you have all the credentials, you have all that, but like, why me? Because of the color of my skin mm -hmm. and because of where I grew up and who my parents were mm -hmm. and what they did for a living. I thought they will never hire someone like me, but they did. Mm -hmm. But they did, and I spent almost... 16 years um, at the firm. I started as a staff accountant. Um, I would travel a lot. I worked, you know, I knew I knew the only way to get ahead was just to work hard. So I would work seven days a week, mm -hmm. long, long days. And my goal was to become a partner at the firm, right? Mm -hmm. That's your goal. When you go anywhere, you want to make it to the top. And I was out of town on an audit and my boss, um, he was my manager, uh, looks at me and he's like, what, what are you doing here? Why are you working here? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you realize you will never make partner at this firm. Oh, wow. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, and I was, I was young. Yeah. I went from the labor camp to CSUB. Most people from there, you've already made it. Like this is like yeah. the top, mm -hmm. right? I have an office job. Yeah. Right? Oh, trust me. When I got my first <laughs> office here, I was all like, I, I shouldn't be here. Like, what do you guys <laughs> I have a window. I have a desk. Yeah. Uh -huh. wow. Yeah, you're solid. You got benefits. I'm wearing retirement. Everything's, mm -hmm. yeah. You right? go back to where you're from and they're like, you're yeah. Hollywood. You're the, you know what I'm no, saying? You know, I think you're all bad now. <laughs> when when growing that? up, we used to watch novelas, right? Mm -hmm. I would watch novelas and I remember always watching the novelas and the women would wear the nice suits. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking as a little girl, I want a job where I could dress like that. But yeah. I didn't know what that was. So back to the story. So he's like, you're never going to make it. And, I, and I'm like, what do, what do you mean? Why? I work hard. You know, I'm smart. I'm producing for the firm. He's like, look at the makeup of the partner group. No one like you, he was saying, mm -hmm. you know, Mexican brown person has ever been a partner in the 40 something year history of the firm. And I was like, wow, you know, maybe he's right. You know, mm -hmm. he had been there longer than I, I was. And so I went to my hotel that night and I thought about it. I cried and woke up the next morning. I'm like, you know what? No, that's not right. I'm not going to let yeah. him yeah. stop me from pursuing my dreams. So I just worked really, really hard. And I was very fortunate that I had a mentor at the firm 
who to this day is one of my best friends. She's my daughter, Valentina's godmother, Amanda, and she took me under her wing. She mentored me and she made sure that I was on the right track to become partner. And I was promoted to partner in training the same day that he was promoted. So. Oh, oh, the person oh, who told yeah. you like, yeah. hey, <laughs> <laughs> all right, sweet. So, so, so he yeah. wasn't saying that like, hey, like you should go somewhere else because they they don't appreciate you. He was saying it like, hey, uh, <laughs> you step away. <laughs> I think he was threatened. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing, though. That's that's what I'm talking about. We got to share these stories of these people that are in our community because we just know them at as they hold a, a particular office or they hold a particular title. However, they're just it's just not given to them. They have to go through all these trials and tribulations to get over there. And Connie is a prime example of that. Then how do you get connected to the United Farm Workers? So I moved to Southern California Mm -hmm. uh, to run the firm's office in Southern California in 2011, 2012. Um, You know, I just want I wanted to experience living outside of the Central Valley and it was a great opportunity. I lived in Pasadena. I ran a lot of accounts, you know, in Southern California. And one day I got a call from a friend um, who lives here in Kern County. And she said, we just met with the DCCC. And I'm on my computer. I'm like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, like Google and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Continuing the conversation. No <laughs> so it's a Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Mm-hmm. And we think you should run for Congress. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. T- share these stories, please. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, so- I'm, I'm, I, like, cause I've known you for a couple years now. Right. And I'm like, I've never heard this story. Yeah, like. You're going to now. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I laughed and I said, you realize I've never run for anything mm-hmm. in my life. Student council. I was not part of ASB. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about politics. But I was at a point in my career where I just wasn't happy anymore. You know, I had achieved partner status. I was living the life, right, in Southern California. At this time, I was living in downtown L.A. in a high rise, you know. Question on that, right? Would you say, like, your goal to make partner and make all this money was just like an appeasement, right? Instead of just saying, like, hey, like, there is more value to life. You were just like, hey, I need to get this done because my family sacrificed this and this. And now you got to that point, you were like, Let's work on now me. what? Yeah. Now what? Yeah. New challenge. Money, it's great, but you know, I was I wasn't happy. And I missed the Central Valley. Mm-hmm. I did. I was, you know, I, I missed I would come visit my family. Um, and so I agreed to <laughs> run for Congress. I was like, sure, why not? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like I said, I I think I've I've taken on certain challenges because I always think of my brother. And the opportunities he didn't have. So I thought, you know, what, why not? Yeah. What's the worst that can happen, right? Yeah. And so it just was not the thing for me. Um, I have so much respect for women um, and politics. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's really, really hard. And I was not prepared. Um, there's a lot of great programs for women. If you're interested in running for office, like Emerge is one of, you know, a really good program that trains you, prepares you mm-hmm. to run for office. I never had that. So I wasn't ready. And so I dropped out of the the, the race. Um, as a result, too, of running for Congress, I left the firm. But the best thing that happened is that I met my husband. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's how I met Joel, uh, my husband. Um, because Nice guy. We've had him in here before. <laughs> <laughs> I approve. Yes. Yeah, we, yeah, we approve. We approve. Marriage, right? yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a great guy. Yeah. And so... 
I met him and we, mm-hmm. you know, I was going to hire him as my lawyer, but we hit mm. it off and so I had to fire him as my lawyer. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've seen those things on like TV, right? Like, well, I'm no longer your lawyer so we can date, right? Was that kind of like the situation? Just push the letter across the table. Oh, well, he's like, Thank I you. quit. <laughs> There's a gift card in there for you. Go have a nice meal. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we dated... Um, I started a consulting company after I left Mm -hmm. the firm. So I was still doing a lot of traveling for Mm -hmm. work. Fast forward a year, you know, we got engaged, um, got pregnant um, Mm -hmm. with my baby Valentina. Mm -hmm. And I got a call from Arturo Rodriguez, Mm -hmm. the previous president for the union. Mm -hmm. For the the UFW. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the UFW. Mm -hmm. And he said that he got my number from an attorney, a a huge supporter of the UFW, um, H.A. Sala. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And that he thought I would know someone that would be interested in the controller position for mm-hmm. the union. And I thought, okay. And I looked at the job description and I thought, you know what? I think I want to do this. Yeah. And so I talked to my husband and I said, what do you think of me pursuing this opportunity? It's less pay. But I, I was, like I said, I was at a point in my life where that wasn't important to me anymore. And I knew I wanted to come back to the Central Valley and my roots are the farm workers, right? Mm-hmm. That's where I come from. And something just told me that that's where I needed to be. So I called Arturo back and I asked him, I go, well, can I apply? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's mm-hmm. like, yes, I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> Let me ask you this. When you were growing up, what interaction did you have with the union way back? Do you have any memories from the camps? Yes. So growing up, I would always hear about Dolores Huerta. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I didn't have a lot of role models growing up. I, I didn't know anyone that graduated from college that moved away to go to college. I'm sure there were some, but I just, it wasn't anyone that I was close to. And, but I would always hear all the farm workers, you know, my parents talking about Dolores and Cesar. And my dad was actually a member of the union and he would go to the 40 acres to Mm -hmm. the meetings with Cesar. Mm -hmm. So I grew up knowing about the union. And I actually, um, in 93, I was a junior in high school when he passed away. And I got in a car with the bunch of kids probably wearing no seat belts and mm-hmm. we drove to Delano mm-hmm. and we were a part of his funeral we, we marched um, oh, wow. and I was there for his wow. funeral you mentioned a little bit about how um, you wanted to come back to your roots and you were like money's not really like a thing because when you're stuck in the rat race it's all like money 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 right when you came back and you you eventually got the position for the union were you like I'm at home or were you like there needs to be work? like work needs to be done here I need to work hard for this so when I first started, I was the controller. Mm-hmm. So I sat behind a desk, mm-hmm. you know, um, just making sure the finances were in order. I, when I started, they were not paperless. And I thought, what the heck, all this paper? No, no, no. So yeah. I, you know, made them go paperless. So did a lot of projects, but I did miss that. I did, I wanted to get out there. I wanted to get out there and inter- interact mm-hmm. with our members, you know, mm-hmm. the farm workers. And so slowly, when I was promoted to chief administrative officer, um, my role changed and then COVID hit in 2020. So mm. we had to work remotely, right? So we couldn't really go out there and interact with um, with our, our members. But in 20, was it 2021, I worked with Andres Chavez mm-hmm. to put on a vaccination clinic at the 40 Acres. Fantastic, we, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, what an experience. And yeah. working with Andres, you know, was, was great. We make a pretty good team. And being at the 40 acres and, and, and starting at 6, 7 in the morning, seeing the line of cars mm-hmm. waiting to come in to get their vaccine because they trust 
the movement, right? They trust that location. That location is safe for them. When we announced that we were going to do this, we were getting calls from some of the farm workers asking if it was, you know, if it was true. Is ICE going to be there? Are yep. we going to get deported? No. Oh, yeah. No. So I was there every weekend. I would take my baby out there. You know, she was out there every weekend. So that's what I enjoy is mm-hmm. being out there with them, talking to them, hearing their stories, especially their kids. Because mm-hmm. I was. You You're one, one of them, I was right? one of those kids. And uh, you talked about how you didn't really have like role models. You didn't see these people because they weren't really in your sphere, right? You were just going to Porterville to church and going to school. Um, and I feel like you're a great representation of that now, right? So one thing, um, we, we were out there at all of the 40 Acres vaccine clinics. Uh-huh. And one of the things I love about doing this work is, um, I'll tell a quick story. We're gonna make it about Bob real quick, okay? <laughs> we were at the fair, Bob. fair one day and this little girl came up to us and talked to us, right? And I was like, oh, that's super cool, blah, blah, blah. And then the dad comes and he looked angry. I was like, oh my God, this guy's gonna beat me up. What did I do, right? Like, what did I do wrong? And then he came up and he's all like, just thank you for talking to my child. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, most people, she didn't realize there was actual people who work on the radio and she's like, always listens to you guys. And I was just like, that's what we, that's why we're here, right? So uh-huh. like when you come back and you talk about doing the work for your people because there aren't people who are gonna come and do it, right? I just wanna say that's admirable and that's that that's a fantastic story. So you've been chief admin officer and you know, and then you become national vice president. How does something like that happen? They just say, you wanna be president? So. When when Teresa became um, the president after mm-hmm. Arturo retired, she, our first you know female president, and mm-hmm. now she's very proud that the majority of our board is women. Mm-hmm. Now so that's huge, right, for, mm-hmm. for the United Farm Workers. And when she was going to become president, she asked me if I would be her chief, chief administrative officer, and I said, of course, you know, any anything you need, Teresa, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here, whatever you need. And then um, she's been a great mentor great mentor and anything I need I, you know she always picks up the phone and so you're supposed to be with the union for five years before you could become a national vice president mm-hmm. I think I had I was here less than that so mm-hmm. they made an exception yeah um, and they voted to make me they thought I, that was very wise of them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so um we're getting close to the end of the interview and um, I have a, a question for you for anyone who's kind of listening or trying to get into the, the right path, what advice would you give them? Just so many things going through my head right now. Yeah, there, you know, there's going to be people in your life mm-hmm. that are going to make you doubt yourself always, right? And you have to be strong enough to understand that it's it's up to you to determine what your destiny is going to be. For me, um, my goal was to first become a partner at, at this firm, and I achieved that goal. And then my goal is just kept changing and I don't think of my life like in what's the, my my five-year plan because yeah. everything just changes overnight right I'm presented with so many great opportunities so I would tell you know especially kids that come from a farm working background dream big you know I tell my mm-hmm. my, my, my my little five-year-old look at the White House we have a woman of color who is vice president mm-hmm. you know I went to Arizona for a month I left my daughter behind to go knock on doors in Marip- Maricopa County. Mm-hmm. It was hot. It was <laughs> yeah. hot. But I was there knocking on doors because I knew it was so important. And I wanted to be part of history when the first woman of color was at the White House. And so just dream big. We have so many role models now. You know, I, I had Dolores Huerta and my mom, of course. But now these kids, especially in our community, in Kern County, you know, we have 
Pac-Man pre. We have we have Connie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, we, have, and, we have you. And and I'm always um, honored to go speak to kids. Um, I did a career day at my elementary school for three years. Mm-hmm. I, I need to go back and do that. And just connecting with those kids because I would tell them I grew up in the labor camp, and mm-hmm. they would ask me, "What street did you live on?" I said, Elm Street. Oh, I live on Elm Street. And they knew my dad back then because he was still working before he mm-hmm. retired. And they would ask all these questions about my job. Mm-hmm. And they're like, so I can do that? You can do that. And when I was inducted to the CSDB Hall of Fame, I was in shock. Mm-hmm. I never in a million years thought that I would be. Well, yeah. Once again, well-deserved. And you know, Connie. And I'm not done yet. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> you are not. You are not. You are not. Because I have another question for you. You know, today... March 31st is Cesar Chavez Day. Mm-hmm. And you work for the United Farm Workers Union. We work for the Cesar Chavez Foundation. So that kind, that kind of binds us mm-hmm. by our uh, occupations. However, honoring the legacy of Cesar Chavez and all the work that he put in and, and Dolores Huerta and everybody who's still around and people like you, um, why is it important for us to continue honoring that legacy of Cesar Chavez? What Cesar and Dolores did for decades they, they sacrifice so much. They sacrifice time with their family, with their kids. And being a mother now, I, I, I understand that. Um, I've left my daughter twice. I left her for Arizona and I left her for the march. I was part of the march the entire time. And so they did it because there's so much that still needs to be done for our farm workers. And we saw that during the pandemic. You know, they were out there. We would hear of stories where they were not given um, protective, you know, equipment. They were being charged for masks. They're out there in the fires, you know, mm-hmm. extreme heat. So there still is a lot that has to be done. And I would not be where I am or have um, experienced a lot of what I've done in my life had it not been for the sacrifices of Cesar and Dolores and, and so many others, right? Mm-hmm. And even to this day, Paul Chavez, you know, Arturo Rodriguez, Teresa, just it's just what it's my duty, I think, to do that, to give back because I have the life that I, you know, have experienced because of their sacrifices. So just important never to forget where you come from, especially mm. if you're a farm worker. And don't be ashamed of being a farm worker. I'm you know, if your parents were farm workers, I, I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud of that. They came to this country with nothing, didn't speak the language, but somehow they, you know, they managed to raise yeah. a family. And we're proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Connie, let's let's talk about the march. Last year, we went on this several day march, and it was it was a fantastic experience because we were a part of it, right? Yeah, it was from August third to August twenty sixth, twenty twenty two. You attended. You yeah. attended the march on a few few routes, you, yeah. right? Yeah, there was, went, there was no, no, one no, no, time no. I got a big old speaker in my backpack, right? And I was playing the music, and it was heavy, but it just revitalized a lot of the workers and the, the marchers. And it was just a fantastic experience. But Connie, tell us a little bit about it, because from what you told us, you were there almost every yeah, single day, if not three, every single day. 335 miles. Oh, wow. From the 40 acres all the way to the Capitol steps. So tell us all about it. Yes, I was there. I marched um, the first two, three days, and mm-hmm. then I was assigned to lead the advance team. So I was in charge of, you know, making sure that the following stop, whatever town that was, there was a committee that we had a place to stay, that we mm-hmm. had, you know, meals, um, laundry. Mm-hmm. We had to do their laundry, get medicine, medical supplies, just whatever they needed. And we would have a rally at the end of each day. So I yeah. was in charge of making sure all of that was done. So, and then um, I also drove uh, Teresa to 
well, in my car mm-hmm. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere <laughs> for interviews, like the LA Times wanted yeah. to interview her. And so it's like, okay, Teresa, let's get you here for this interview. Interviews from all over the mm-hmm. country because, you know, it was, it was a pretty big deal. And so it was to march to bring uh, awareness of the AB 2183 bill. What exactly was AB 2183? So AB 2183 would give farm workers the ability to vote from home. Okay. From the privacy of their own home. just like For, we, for a union, correct? For a union, mm-hmm. yes. Just like we vote, right, for our elected officials. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing. They weren't asking for anything more than what the rights that we have as, as, as citizens here. And, and for people who are listening and like, well, why is that a big deal? Like we do things at the workplace and all that stuff. When you're voting for union and rights, right, um, and you have your supervisor who's not part of the union, who has every incentive to make sure you don't unionize, looking over you, handing you the ballots, mm-hmm. doing all these things, it's, it's very intimidating. And for people who've never worked as a farm worker, you don't just go to the same place every single time. Mm-hmm. You probably meet up with a bunch of people and they're like, hey, we know where we have to go this week. It's a mile this way or in this field. So it's a very like terrible way to do things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's retaliation at times, right? They mm-hmm. could lose their job um, or not get hired again if, if they see that they're voting, they're pro-union. Yeah, but it's, it took a while. And I remember uh, my own memories of the march when we ended up over at the Capitol uh, we marched like there was like the last. Uh, it was it last two miles. Yeah, I went the last two miles because I had we had to kind of hold down the fort over here. But you you joined the route, and I know Connie was there the whole time. You can go and look up uh, look up like hashtags for the march to Sacramento. There was a lot of great people who documented. I know we've had uh, Flor Martinez, Flower in Spanish. Yep. You know the, the Insta active. Yeah, she's great. We've had her on the show many many times, and she was very active in like really rallying a lot of young people, uh-huh. and not just Latinos, but people of every ethnicity and every demographic. My favorite memory is just seeing everybody just like united and smiling. And there wasn't it wasn't a day there weren't days of anger. You were looking for let's make a change. Let's show that our campesinos who were out there working while we're marching that they matter. You know, support farm workers, support uh, their works. You know, during the Super Bowl and a lot of the big games, they would always say they would do those dramatic commercials about, you know, thank a farmer. Thank a farmer. And they would do like the big John Deere and like the shadow and, you know, the sh- the, the silhouette of the farmer, like lifting up the plants and the, and the soil in his hands. I'm like, what about the, the farm, farm workers? workers? Exactly. What are some of your, let me see, like your top memories from the march? Funny ones? It could oh, be everything because there's got to be a lot might of different not be kinds. appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of things went on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um. When we were marching, it was very, very hot, mm-hmm. right? And in a lot of places, there was no shade. We're mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere. And you get to the point where you're like, oh, my God, you know, like, what am I what am I doing out here? And it's it's so hot. Mm-hmm. And then you stop. I, I had to stop myself and just think, Connie, our farm workers are out there every day mm-hmm. in these conditions so that you could have, you know, yeah. food on your table. And then marching... I think for me that was the the highlight was just marching alongside our campesinos and hearing their stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I am the daughter of farm workers, but my parents never really talked about their time as farm workers. And so hearing some of the things that they go through, um, I sat in during an interview of one of our campesinas. Uh, that they were doing for a documentary. We had a documentary crew that was following mm-hmm. us the entire time. 
And we were, it was after a long day of marching. I forgot how many miles we marched. It was hot. And we were out in the middle of an orchard and she was sitting on a crate in the middle of nowhere. And I was, I was sitting there, you know, we're all covered to, you know, protect ourselves from the sun. And she starts telling her story. She's a single mom of nine children. Oh, wow. She came to Kern County. Um, she left an abusive marriage in mm. Southern California. So she came here with her kids and she started working in the fields at a later age because she needed to feed her kids. And she talked about being um, sexually abused um, out mm. in the fields. Um being sexually abused, it resulted in a child. Mm -hmm. um, and just, I could see the pain in, in her face. And I sat there because I'm a mother, you know, mm -hmm. and I couldn't even imagine what she went through. And she said that one of the hardest things besides obviously going through something like that was never being able to go to any of her school, uh, her kids' school activities. Like she mm -hmm. would come home after work and she would see certificates on the table and She's like, I never, I never got to do that. But I knew I had to work because that, they were all I had. And, and having to come home after going through some of the abuses that she went through and pretending that she had a great day at work. Because she's still the foundation of that family. Oh. That, that just, and so that kept me going, you know, hearing uh, stories yeah. like that. And, you know, some of our campesinos that were marching, they were in their 70s. Mm -hmm. And they were out there marching every day yeah. and didn't complain. They would have blisters on their feet. We're like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I'm like, your foot's bleeding. Like, let me help you. Like during lunch breaks, they'd be wrapping them and yeah. be like, okay, we're ready to go. I'm mm -hmm. like, whoa, 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 wait. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what they're used to. Mm -hmm. You know, they're out in the fields and they're used to just toughing they're, it out yeah they're not treated even as human beings sometimes and it's just it's heartbreaking and so our job was to make sure that they were comfortable that they had you know quality shoes mm -hmm. socks food a place to sleep to make it comfortable for them and and they were um they were so committed to to finishing you know the entire march i was also part of the march the year before and and September, I think it was the year before when he vetoed. Yeah. So he vetoed on the first day. The governor, the governor yeah. vetoed AB twenty one eighty three. And yeah. you guys marched to what the uh, the yeah. French Laundry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was actually our campesinos' idea. Mm. So we were about a mile from finishing the first day, and I was marching with our president Teresa Romero, and we were notified that he was going to veto it. So we made it to the Teresa. You know, she's like, "Let me compose myself before I go meet with our campesinos." Right. Yeah. So she told them, they started crying, and then they're like, we're not giving up. Mm -hmm. And one of them, they're like, doesn't he have a winery? <laughs> <laughs> one of our campesinos. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, you know, he has one up in Napa. Like, we should go there. Mm -hmm. So it was their idea. Mm -hmm. So within a few hours, we planned everything to go up there, and we had a, uh, a peaceful protest yeah. in front of the French Laundry mm -hmm. for two days, and then we marched from there to his winery. Which was a beautiful march. That one was nice. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all these. Videos. It's not Kern County, yeah. right? It's like so, going through the heat. 
So, you know, hopefully there is going to be a proper documentary on the march to Sacramento because, you know, it certainly hasn't happened again. I mean, in my lifetime, I remember there has been some some monumental marches with United Farm Workers Union. But this one was this was definitely like a reminder of the work that still needs to be done. And then the support that the UFW and people like uh, Connie Perez Andreessen need from the public. If you want to get involved, how can people get involved? You could follow us on social media, UFW Updates on mm-hmm. Facebook, um, Instagram, our website. Yeah, we'll post up all the web links on our socials and everything like that. We could keep you here for hours, Connie. Oh, there's so there's many so, stories. Yes, yeah, so many, many stories. But like once again, uh, we, we honor your work and we just want, like I mentioned in the intro, is that there's a lot of people that are they're out there just working so much and they're just kind of they're not worried about recognition. They just want to work and they want to make a difference. People like Connie and those other angels out in the fields that are putting in the work to keep our nation fed. God bless them all. Once again, we want to thank Connie Perez Andreessen, the Chief Administrative Officer and National Vice President of the United Farm Workers Union for being on Real Talk. We celebrated Women's History Month and we closed it out with a Si Se Puede Bang Baby. Thank you, Connie. Thank you so much, Thank Connie. you, guys. Thank you for listening to Real Talk, the podcast. If you want to catch us on live terrestrial radio every Friday, if you're in the Kern County area, tune in to Forge 103.9 on your radio stations. And if you're somewhere else, Matt, where do you go? Well, from any place in the globe, you can listen live or stream the podcast from Forge1039.com. Brought to you by Rodriguez & Associates. When you need us, we'll be here for you. You, 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 you.